Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, and welcome to the Karma You podcast. This is your host, Chloe Brotheridge. I'm a coach a hypnotherapist, and I'm the author of The Anxiety Solution and Brave New Girl. And this podcast is all about helping you to become your calmest, happiest, and most confident self. Thanks so much for listening today. I am super excited for today's guest, talking to David Hamilton, PhD, who is someone that I have admired for ages. I have been to his workshops, read his books. He is definitely someone that I massively look up to and find really inspiring. He has a PhD in organic chemistry and he spent four years in the the pharmaceutical industry developing drugs for cardiovascular disease and cancer. And he got really inspired by the placebo effect. And so he left the industry to start writing books about the placebo effect and how they can harness their mind and emotions to improve their health. Now, he comes at it from such a scientific point of view, because I think when we often hear about placebo we think that isn't very scientific but actually it really is and it's so interesting how powerful our mind is. He's now the author of 10 books including The Little Book of Kindness, How Your Mind Can Heal Your Body and I Heart Me and the Amazon bestseller The Five Side Effects of Kindness. So we get into how the mind can heal the body and this is so interesting to me as a hypnotherapist I think you're really gonna enjoy hearing about this. We talk about the power of beliefs our beliefs are so important and powerful. They really do shape our thoughts and feelings. And we get into that. We talk about why kindness is so powerful. And just as a hint, it has really powerful effects. Aside from just making us feel good, David shares his own journey from low self-esteem to more self-love. I think he's just one of the best storytellers out there. And we talk about how kindness is actually contagious. So I really hope you enjoy this episode with David Hamilton, PhD. And I would love to send you some free resources if you'd like to take another step towards becoming just that little bit calmer and more confident and happier Then I would love to help you out. Please head over to karmau.com forward slash free, pop your email address in there. I'm going to send you some free resources. And as always, I'd love to see you over on Instagram. Come and find me at Chloe Brotheridge. And let me know what you thought about this episode. Please do share it with anyone that you think might need it as well. So let's get into the interview with David Hamilton. This episode is sponsored by my favourite activewear brand, Sweaty Betty. Their all-female design team source the best technical fabrics, which means their products perform under the toughest conditions and feel amazing on your skin. All products are also wearer trialled by female staff to ensure they perform and flatter and fit the female body. If the staff don't love it, it doesn't get made. There are so many activewear brands to shop from, but Sweaty Betty is special because all their products from run and yoga to swim and ski are engineered to last. 
This is not fast fashion, it's high quality. And I have several pieces from Sweaty Betty that I've had for years and I continue to wear and love. Sweaty Betty now has a host of sustainable products, including their Super Sculpt leggings made from post-consumer plastic bottles. Their Italian fleece has been replaced with a recycled cotton blend alternative and they are reducing the amount of consumer packaging sent to customers. Sweaty Betty are offering listeners 20% off when you enter the promo code KARMAYOU on their website. You'll also find the link in the show notes. So 20% off at Sweaty Betty when you enter the code KARMAYOU. That's C-A-L-M-E-R-Y-O-U. Check out their staff. I think you're Hi, David. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? I'm very well. It's my pleasure. Chloe, how are you today? I'm really quite well, actually. Yeah, despite everything, I'm Mm. getting into the way of life of being at home a lot. And so it's not too bad. Not too bad. Good. Good. Glad to hear that. I'm so looking forward to speaking to you and sharing your brilliance with all the listeners. I came to see you speak, it was probably about four years ago in London. And it was, I think you were talking about your book, um, I Heart Me. And it was the best workshop I've ever been to. And oh, I've been wow. to a lot of workshops and seen a lot of personal development teachers and yours was my absolute favourite. So oh, that's so kind. Thank you. Can you share with um, the listeners um, a bit about what you do and how you got to where you are today? Sure. Uh, so I, I mostly write on like, uh, topics from the science of kindness, the mind-body connection, self-esteem. And I kind of got into it in a roundabout way. So my PhD is in a subject called organic chemistry which is nothing to do with organic food, incidentally. It's like playing Lego, but as an adult, and instead of taking Lego blocks of different shapes and sizes and colors to assemble shapes, you take atoms. So atoms are my building blocks. And, but the, the concept of sticking Lego blocks together is the same. So I would build a variety of shapes, but the shapes that I built would, be, would end up as pharmaceutical drugs. So I worked in a, one of the world's largest pharmaceutical companies, and the drugs I was helping to build and develop were for cardiovascular disease and cancer. But I found the drug testing process was the most interesting thing for me because what it showed me is the placebo effect and the numbers of people that were making some kind of improvement on fake drugs because they believed that this drug, even though it was a fake drug, a placebo was an actual drug. So, so while I worked as a scientist doing my proper science job, I did a lot of research in, through the medical journals into how does the mind-body connection work? And if in understanding that, what can we do to tap into it a little bit that can help, help our bodies and support our bodies in, in some kind of way? So after four years, I decided to resign from the industry because I wanted to write and teach and I decided that that's what I really wanted to do. So that's pretty much what I do now is write and teach. Amazing. Mm. So the placebo effect, I really wanted to ask you about this. Mm. What's actually happening in the, in the placebo oh, effect? Yeah. I'm glad you asked that Chloe, because when I was a scientist, I asked some of my senior colleagues at the time, because I thought I would say, isn't this amazing? Look how many people, are improving on the placebo and they would say oh it's 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 all in the mind and they're not really getting better they just think they're getting better but i would look at the actual analysis and say well they're not just thinking they're getting better something is actually physically happening in the body and it turns out that when you believe let's say let's say for example a person is given a placebo to reduce some pain let's say they've got headache or they've got back pain or some other pain in the body 
and they're given a placebo, but they think it's an actual drug. Because they think or they believe it's an actual drug, their brain produces its own natural painkillers. And the brain's natural painkillers actually reduce the pain. So it's not just that you think you're feeling better or you just imagine the pain is going away. The pain really does go away, but because your brain has produced natural painkillers. And the reason why your brain has produced natural painkillers is because you believe that this drug here is a, a real drug. So belief generates biochemistry, which, which produces the effect that you believe is supposed to happen. That's incredible. And yes. I don't know if, you, if you've mentioned this, I read your book, um, How Your Mind Can Heal Your Body. Oh, you're the one. <laughs> <laughs> the one person. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I don't know if you talked about there being almost like an internal pharmacy. I don't know yeah. if this is you or someone else. I think it was you that we can access by working with the, with the mind, with our beliefs to activate that internal pharmacy within our bodies. Yeah. I actually, I first heard the term uh, in a book, the genie in your genes by Dawson church. And that's where I first heard that pharmacy uh, thing. Uh, and uh, but the idea is your brain has it's like a stocked pharmacy it has thousands of substances and so it's almost like when you believe something some part of your brain or a little pharmacist in your brain goes to that part of the shelf and says okay so they're expecting here to feel a little bit better so where on the shelf okay there's the chemical that will make them feel a little bit better here we go and pours it into the bloodstream oh the oh they believe that they will feel less pain okay here's morphine we, we the brain has its own version of morphine here it is here off the shelf take it off pour it into the bloodstream so belief stimulates that pharmacist in the brain who goes to whichever shelf is necessary and selects the substance necessary to deliver to you the result that you're expecting to happen. So in that way, belief drives biology and can lead to an end result according to what you believe. It's so amazing, isn't it? Yeah, that yeah. Our, our minds can be so powerful in that way. Mm. And um, can, you, can you share a little bit about your book, um, How the Mind Can Heal? Sorry, how your mind can heal your body. Because I, I read that and I'm a hypnotherapist and yeah. I'd it kind of really gave me loads of ideas, practical things on how to use that to help mm. in certain things. Um, I also practice something called Qigong, which is a bit like Tai oh, Chi. That. And that's a very similar thing, mm. I think, to a lot of the themes you were talking about in the yeah. book to kind of potentially boost the immune system or heal faster. Mm. Yeah, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. So, so in the book, the book's kind of in a few different parts. The first part of it, really the first, uh, I'd say the first third, is describing the science of how the mind-body connection works. So exactly how and why does belief or even imagination, like if you visualize something, exactly how and why does that have a physical effect? So if you're imagining your immune system destroying a cancer cell, how and why does that work? And the reason for that section of the book is to give people faith in themselves. Because one thing I've noticed over the years of, of working with people and teaching and writing uh, is that if someone believes in themselves or believes in a technique, then the technique or whatever they're doing can be enhanced because they believe in themselves. And, and so the reason for the science is to help someone to understand that when I do this with my mind, it really does do something. So they're more likely to do it and therefore they will believe in themselves a little bit more. Uh, and then I've got a section which is really just a collection of stories 
from people who are, who've been at workshops, for example, of people that I've been in touch with online who used visualization practices to help themselves uh, recover or to help facilitate healing from injury, illness or, or disease. And then I've got an A to Z list in the book of that are based on visualizations that I've collected over the years for a large number of conditions that really just fell into an A to Z list because there were so many of them. Uh, so like, for example, for visualizations people use for, you know, a sore knee, asthma, you know, even viruses, uh, you know, cancer, immune system, you name it, there, there's something similar in that, in that, that part of the book. So that, that's pretty much how, how I structured it. The first part of it is really just the teaching part. How, do, how exactly does the mind impact the body and which way does it work? If I think that or imagine that or believe that or feel that, what individual things happen as a consequence of what I imagine, think, feel or believe? And what does that actually do in the body? Mm. So, yeah, so again, our, our beliefs are so important. And I know, I know in the book you're very careful to say, you know, don't necessarily stop having chemotherapy. Don't yeah, stop having your, your treatments for things. But actually, yeah, here's yeah. a way you can help yourself and as an extra support to, to use, you know, the power of your mind to, to improve things. Yeah, because sometimes, cause sometimes I make that very clear because sometimes I get a little bit worried when I talk about the mind and all that, that people will then just do that instead of, instead of taking medical advice or something. So, it, it, you know, I, I try to be really clear that this isn't just something like, for example, you don't uh, meditate instead of sleeping. You know, you, you don't, you know, do the X, Y and Z instead, instead of other important things. So I, I try to make it really clear that this isn't something that you do instead of medical advice. You don't stop taking chemotherapy because you're going to visualize your immune system. You would keep doing what you're doing, but visualize your immune system as well. So not instead of, but in addition, in addition to. So thanks, thanks for bringing that up, actually. Mm. It's very, very important, I think. Yeah, I really, I really yeah, like that about your books, that you're, you're, it's very, um, what's the word? A lot of integrity, I think, in what you're mm. saying. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you about self-love and mm. this is something you've been talking about I think a lot longer than it has been trendy to talk about self-love and almost a very common yeah. term that we talk about more and more and you were kind of years and years ago talking about this a lot. Um, why do you think it's so important? What, 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 what kind of drew you to this area? It, accidentally, I never Chloe, I never in a million years would have imagined that I would write a book on self-love, nor even that I would have anything to write about. Mm. But I was dragged, I was dragged into it uh, by myself. But I, I have always, all throughout my life, I have struggled periodically with anxiety, with a low self-esteem. I've always struggled with confidence. It's funny, people see me doing my thing and they think, oh, that guy's super confident, has it all together. They have no idea some of the struggles I have gone through and even still go through. And I'd stumbled through writing seven previous books. And now here I was uh, wondering what to write for my next book. And I was about to, I was standing at the side of the stage and I was the, it was a big international conference, a Hay House I Can Do It conference. I was about to follow the late Dr. Wayne Dyer. And he was coming off the stage to a standing ovation. And I was next on. And I took a, 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 I guess, a version of an anxiety attack, a panic attack, 
while standing at the side of the stage. And it wasn't because I was lacking confidence. It was, I just felt like really small, like in comparison to all the other speakers, half of whom had been in opera. Uh, in comparison to them, I just felt really small, like I had nothing to contribute. And I'd always felt like this, and I'd always bluffed my way through things, but not really revealed to people how I was really feeling, because then I would feel like a fraud. You know, how can I write these self-help books, even though they have value in of themselves, because I'm not always talking about that subject. But my own challenges were building up, especially with how I was feeling on the inside. And it came to a head at the side of the stage, and I felt like crying. And I got a flashback of being a a, you know, a six or a seven-year-old child at school being singled out by my teacher because all the other kids had brought in money for a school trip and I hadn't. And the reason why I hadn't, the reason why I hadn't is because my mum and dad were really poor and really struggling financially. And, and I didn't want to ask my mum because I'd seen my mum a few nights earlier being really upset about money and how to, how to pay the bills coming up to Christmas time. So I didn't ask my mum. I got upset watching my mum being upset. She didn't know I was watching and listening, but I was hiding at the door. And so I didn't ask my mum for the money. The teacher singled me out, uh, made, made me stand in the corner, and the rest of the class got a, a yellow badge for bringing in their money. And, and all I remember from that was the devastation of feeling like everyone else is getting a yellow badge. Because when you're a kid, a school trip was meaningless. I'd never been in one, so I had no context for a school trip. But I knew what a badge was. You only get a badge on your special day. So all the kids in the class were special except for me. And I, and I, that there was there would have been other time, other situations similar, no doubt, round about that time that reinforced that idea. But I carried that idea silently that everyone else has something of value except for me. And so I got bullied a lot at high school, partly because I was always bragging and showing off. But the reason I was bragging and showing off is because I, I, I was driven by this need to, for people to see that I had something as well. And that I needed them to know that I was just as special as they were. And that really came to, it's funny how, what you remember in weird times. And here I was at the side of the stage and I'm remembering that. You know, and, and obviously because the feeling was similar uh, and I felt I had nothing to offer. And I, I, I wanted to curl up and grab the curtain at the side of the stage and cry. And if it wasn't for the fact that the, the events director, you know, almost pushed me <laughs> onto the stage, you know, I was so close to running. I just felt mm. so small. But that's the day when I decided, I realized that self-esteem or, or self-love was underlying that feeling that I'd always carried and that I really needed to address it. And, and that was further compounded by listening to Anita Murjani, who gave a talk that day as part, you know, brought on the stage with Wayne Dyer. Uh, and listening to Anita, and then that, that made it really clear that the solution to so many of my challenges, at least part of the solution, lay in understanding what self-love was. And I knew instinctually that that was the answer. I had no idea what self-love was really or anything about it, any strategies, but I knew in my heart that I absolutely had to dive headfirst into the subject. The book was just a side effect of a two-year uh, process that I went through. 
Mm, wow, that's incredible. And and such a moving story about remembering being a child and having that experience. And I'm sure, I know mm. I've got memories similar to that. And I'm sure people listening have got things in their past that have stayed with them, painful things that actually, yeah. you know, looking back as an adult, you might think, how could that have been such a big deal? But actually, when we're young, it really can have that impression on us. And we can yeah. take on board these beliefs that just stay with us and can hold us back as adults. And mm. Um, yeah, I think it's really good to identify some of those things and start to understand them a little bit more. Um, and yeah, I guess being a therapist and I think all therapists know this from experience of seeing clients, self-esteem is at the root of almost everything, if not everything, Mm -hmm. that self-love and self-esteem at at the root of so many of our, of our issues. Um, yeah. yeah, And I know you talk about, um, you talk about wiring in self-love into the brain. Yeah. Can you, can you describe what you mean by that? Yeah. You know, I, I came to that in a kind of roundabout way. When I, I remember I was so pumped up with the passion that I'm going to learn self-love and I'm going to, and I, I talked to my publisher, Hey House, and we agreed on a deadline. And I said, so in five months time, I will deliver this book. And I remember the MD saying of Hey House, Michelle Pelly saying, are you sure you can deliver the book in five months? It's a very big subject. I'm oh no, I can do it. I'm pumped up. I'm so determined. I ha- I remember handing the what I thought was the final version of the book, and Michelle emailed me and asked me if I could meet her for a coffee. And her exact words when we met for a coffee were, "You know, we all love you in the office, <laughs> but I-, I can't publish this book. I can't accept this book." If we were to publish this, it will be damaging to your career. <laughs> it was so weak, weakly written and badly written because I had tried to tackle the subject academically with no actual practical value. And I hadn't really gained anything at all. I hadn't changed in that five months. All I'd done is absorbed all the academia about self-love, but that hadn't shifted me at all. Because I hadn't actually put anything into practice. I hadn't wired it in, in any capacity. And I remember I got quite a wee bit upset when I, I talking to Michelle because I, it, what began to come out of me in that conversation was some of the struggles that I was having. Uh, and Michelle said, look, no deadline. Let's not put a deadline in this. Let, why don't you take as long as you like to write this book and then come back to me at some point when you feel you're ready to to deliver it. And that's when things began to change. And I found some research. It was actually a hypnotherapist. It was speaking at a hypnotherapy conference. And it was one of the hypnotherapists who pointed me in the direction of research about how posture, holding your body in a way that says, you know, I've got this, or, or as I did it, I have an inner sense of worthiness and value but wearing it on your body, so wearing it on your shoulders and how you breathe, straightening your spine up, you know, smiling, breathing, being aware of your breathing, relaxing your facial muscles, but holding almost that you're wearing on your body and the way that you hold and move your body, you're wearing how you actually want to feel. And she pointed me to this research after I'd spoken at a conference on how your mind can heal your body, incidentally. And and I found it and I thought, this is amazing. And I started to put it into practice every single day. And it was about, it, it, when I when I overlapped that with research on how visualization works and how repetition works, I realized that I could actually wire in a state 
of an inner sense of worthiness and value, my, my version of self-love, I could wire that into my brain through repetition. Because if you do something over and over again, it begins to grow in the neural patterns in the brain. So you literally wire something in if you do it repetitively. So I thought if I can repetitively adjust my posture so that I'm wearing an inner sense of worthiness and value, I should wire that into the brain. And for me, it was life-changing. I would say within about two to three months, I was beginning to feel a way inside that I didn't know existed. It was like someone asking you to describe a color that didn't exist. You wouldn't be able to do it. I, I hadn't actually felt an inner sense of worthiness and value. It was completely alien. But I started to feel that in about, within about two or three months from doing nothing else other than relentlessly correcting my posture throughout the day, but also when I'm in particular situations. If, for example, I was in a stressful situation and I would normally shrink in, if I, only be, I wouldn't notice myself doing this unless I had taught myself to become aware of my body language. But maybe in a fearful or stressful situation, I would have done that. But instead, I trained myself to stand up, shoulders back, lengthen my spine and breathe. And just by being really relentless, and I mean relentless like several times a day, correcting myself, uh, for me, I made the first of a, a sequence, a series of life-changing jumps. That was the first major life-changing jump that I had in, build, in building self-love. And it really was wiring it into the brain. There was other jumps I made, but this was the first one. Massive for me. And it was really just about correcting my posture, but doing it so often that that would literally wire into the circuits of the brain. Because anything you do repetitively wires into the brain through neuroplasticity but what also unwires is stuff that you stop doing so by stopping doing holding my body the way i used to do it like like that or when i was fearful or even when my mind was wandering and going into patterns of fear and anxiety my body would go like that without me realizing as i corrected myself and adjusted myself so often then the amount of time i spent doing those things was reduced so therefore just like a muscle begins to shrink as you don't use it. So the old patterns of the old pathways in the brain also begin to shrink if you don't feed them. So to the degree that I was feeding the, I've got this, I have an inner sense of worthiness and value posture. I was shrinking down the patterns for the, I'm afraid, I feel worried. I don't know how to do this kind of thing. So I was building up positive stuff and shrinking negative stuff simultaneously. And it led to a tipping point after a couple of months, I would say. That's so, so helpful. And I love, I love how mm. tangible that is and, and practical, but also it works mm. at a physical level and it, and it works in your, in your brain. Because I think sometimes self-love kind of advice can be a bit fluffy and it's like mm. just have a bubble bath and yeah. then you can show yourself you love yourself actually your approach is you know completely different to that and I think a lot more effective and I also really like that it, you is that a necessity <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 I, I also really like that you you call it um inner worth and worthy sorry what did you say inner worth I, and worthiness it, it just came to me when I, I when I was wanting to know what to wire in, I had to define what I wanted to wire in. And so the words came out of how was I feeling and how had I been feeling and how did I want to feel? So what, what I came up with was I have an inner sense of worthiness and value. Mm. And that became my working definition of self-love. So when I was wearing it on my body, as I taught myself 
how to hold that in my body, I would say I have an inner sense of worthiness and value. And that was my definition. And that's what I worked on building by wearing that on my body. So I had to teach myself, how does I have an inner sense of worthiness and value feel on my face? How does it feel on my shoulders? How does an inner, I have an inner sense of worthiness and value feel as I breathe? How does it feel in, my, in my, my lower back, my hips? How does it feel in my toes? As I wear on my body, I have an inner sense of worthiness and value. So I just really taught myself how to feel it and hold that in my body. Yeah. Yeah, I really like that. It's almost as though you're defining for yourself what self-love yeah. could feel like or, or does feel like rather than imposing someone else's idea, really thinking about what, what that means to you. Yeah, really yeah, thank you. I think it was helpful also that I had never read any books on self-love because it wasn't a subject that I don't know if this is just a, a male thing, but it was a subject that I had never imagined myself ever having to to learn. I hadn't it hadn't ever occurred to me that self-love is something I was severely lacking in. Because, you know, there's two types of self-love, self-esteem. You have the, the external, which is what most people think of as self-love, when you derive your sense of worthiness and value from successes and achievements in life and people having a positive perception of you. And that's called external self-esteem. And, and if that's where you derive your sense of worthiness from entirely, then that can be quite costly further down the line in the sense of something goes wrong, it's earth-shattering. Whereas internal self-esteem is more like self-love. And that's more of an inner sense. So you, you derive your sense of worth from the inside. Uh, and I think I probably had quite a bit of the outer stuff if I was to reflect on some of my successes and achievements and what I thought were some people's perception. But that was all I had. I had none at all of the healthy stuff on the inside, which is where I came up with the, de the definition for me is I have an inner sense of worthiness and value because when I started this work, I absolutely did not. I had mm. an external sense of worthiness and value. I did not have an internal, an inner sense of worthiness and value. And so, so that's, what, that's where that came from. And, and so I'd never read a book on self-love because I'd never been drawn to one because I didn't ever feel I had a need to. The first book on self-love I ever read was my own <laughs> in the process of writing. It's the strangest thing to say, but I'm kind of glad that I did it that way because then I wasn't really too led by other people's ideas. You know, I wasn't really, you know, I think when you read so much in a subject, it's quite easy to be so in love with the way the author puts something across that you forget that, you know, you, you forget what your own idea and your own take on that is because you so got so much value of what someone else said. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm kind of glad that I came to this you know, I, I read other books along the way, like Daring Greatly by Brenny Brown was a huge influence on me when I was reading, writing that book. And I read a few others in the process or read bits of them in the process of writing my own. But really, I, I'm glad that I came to the subject completely fresh because then I, I had to approach it using how I approach any subject, which is just my, my, my way of thinking, my way of, of doing science and something. So absolutely yeah absolutely and I'm just thinking about what you said about that external kind of validation I, I think I yeah. I heard someone talking about this on a podcast I don't know if it was Russell Brand or one of his videos or something where he was talking about how celebrities are very often the most like unhappy or troubled or you know they suffer a lot of depression and anxiety because they get 
all this external validation and then that can one day just be taken away from them if they get cancelled yeah. or do make a mistake in public and they don't build up that that inner sense of worthiness and mm. you know acceptance for themselves and that's mm. yeah just a reminder of you know why that's so important yeah um Another thing I wanted to talk to you about is kindness. Mm. And this is, I guess, another one of your specialist areas. Um, what, what got you so interested in kindness and why do you think that that's so beneficial for us? You know, I, I was, I often, I, I often find that when I'm writing one book, I find other research that I would love to put in the book that I'm working on, but it doesn't fit. And when I was writing, believe it or not, How Your Mind Can Heal Your Body, I found a heap of research that just didn't fit that book, but it was on kindness. And what intrigued me about it is one of the pieces of research was on some on a group of people practicing a kindness and compassion meditation. So the Tibetan Buddhist metta, metta bhavna, or the loving kindness meditation. And the practice of that, had produced an anti-inflammatory effect in the body. And I was intrigued as to how that worked. So I, I followed a little research thread and realized that a feeling of compassion, kindness towards others stimulates a portion of the nervous system of the parasympathetic nervous system called the vagus nerve. And that controls a major anti-inflammatory path in the body. It's called the inflammatory reflex. And I thought, this is absolutely amazing, but it just didn't fit in that book at the time. So I parked it aside and I thought, when I'm finished this book, I'm going to pick up this. And so when I picked it up and followed the thread, I found all this research on how being kind has physical, not has psychological effects, which are very more, more obvious to us, but has internal physiological effects that are not obvious that nobody knows about. And no one even knows about this research. So I just... Pulled, them, pulled it all out of the medical journals and the sociology journals, the psychology journals, and bundled it all together into what has now become three books, really, on, on, on kindness, on, you know, the science of what happens. And, and it, it all, all rests on the fact that kindness is physiologically the opposite of stress. Most people, if you say, what's the opposite of stress? Most people will say it's peace or it's calm or it's relaxation. Those things are the absence of stress. They're not the opposite. Physiologically speaking, the opposite of stress is kindness because stress is a feeling. And so the physical effects of stress are a consequence of you feeling stressed. But when you be kind and it feels nice, that feeling produces a, the opposite in, in terms of the physiological effects to almost everything that we know about stress. So, so kindness is physiologically the opposite of stress. And, and that underpins half of really the, the entire thread of, of all the, the information I've gathered on how being kind has a physical effect. Like it reduces blood pressure, for example. It's good for your heart, good for your blood flow, you get anti-inflammatory effects, immune stimulating effects of kindness. Basically anything you know that stress does, you can be rest assured that kindness has an opposite effect and there's some research out there that shows exactly how that is and why that is. That's so, so interesting. And yeah. we're, we're recording this at the end of March and obviously things have just gotten very real in terms of mm. coronavirus. And I think this will be released in around April. Don't know what the situation is going to be then, but I suppose kindness has never been more important. Um, you know, not only for 
being kind to each other but being kind to ourselves yeah. and it's so fascinating that um that it has more than the obvious benefits of us feeling nice about being kind that there's yeah. changes in the body that can um be healing for us or be you know beneficial for our health that's so fascinating mm. um i saw on your website you'd written a blog post about um how kindness can actually be contagious yeah um can you what do you mean by that kindness is actually one of the most contagious things in fact see can i just because you mentioned that recording this in march about five minutes before we began this chat there's a family that live across the road from me i live in a little town called dunblane in central scotland uh, and there's a little there's a family they have three young kids and one of the kids i think must be about three or four and it must have been aunts or uncles or some stopped and obviously it was a little boy's birthday and sung happy birthday from the street and the wee boy opened the window and they had a little sign that said happy birthday and lots of the neighbours looked out their windows, I opened the door and it was just the most beautiful demonstration of kindness and community spirit. And, and what I, I'm seeing right now is people pulling together in spirit in a way I've never seen before, on a scale that I've never seen before. And it's absolutely beautiful to watch. And it really made me, I was actually feeling quite emotional, overwhelmed with, with joy at having witnessed that. And then two minutes later, I was signing on and setting up my microphone before we spoke. And I was just washing away some tears just before we spoke, actually, from having witnessed that. But, but talking about kindness is contagious. Because of how it makes you feel, you probably find people listening to this right now if they, they have a similar memory of something else happening in their community. Because of how that's made them feel, they will likely be kind or kinder to more people throughout the course of the rest of that day. And that's how kindness is contagious. So, so scientists at Harvard and Yale tracked it. If, when you do something kind for someone, if you were to follow that person around, like with a little, a little drone or something, or listen into their phone conversations or their emails, given the fact that we're not reducing social contact, if you were to focus on their emails or phone calls or FaceTimes, you would probably find that if you did something kind for someone right now, Chloe, that person would be kind or kinder to probably four or five people over the course of the next day for no reason other than because of how you made them feel whether it's gratitude or inspiration or a feeling of warmth or connection or elevation, but somehow because you've been kind to that person, Chloe, they will feel different. And that feeling is like something that powers a wave. It's like dropping a pebble in a pond that creates a little wave, but the wave now goes out circularly. And so that if you were to track it, that person that you've helped will be kinder, kinder to, but let's say it's five people over the course of the next day. But each of those five people, because of how they now feel, will be kind or kinder to five further people. So five times five is 25. Now, those 25 are what's called two social steps away from you. The first person you helped, that person helps five people. Those five are at one social step from you. They're one step away from the person that you know. So they're one social step from you. But the 25 are two steps away from the person that you helped. So they're called two social steps away, but each of those 25 will be kind or kinder to five further people over the next day. Five times five times five is 125. They're at three social steps. And so it goes out circularly. If you drop a pebble in a pond, 
If you watch the wave at the other side of the pond, a wee lily pad does that. And it's got no idea why it's doing that. And at the other side of the pond, another lily pad's doing that the other way. And it's going out in all directions. And 125 lily pads are lifting and rising and falling because you did an act of kindness for that first person. And that was calculated with a study at Harvard and Yale. And it's called, it's called the ripple effect of kindness. But it's great that scientists have actually worked it out and tracked it and seen how it actually works. So every single thing that you do, that anyone listening does that's kind, has this contagion effect. So the blog that I wrote was to point out that we're all fearful right now about contagion of coronavirus, but more contagious is the human spirit. More contagious is kindness. That, that has more of a gripping effect on us. And if we pay attention to that, we might just see some magic taking place in the world. That's such a beautiful idea. And... Mm definitely what we need right now and amazing that you know we could do something small but actually that that effect multiplies as more mm. and more people sort of pay that forward I suppose yeah, so what absolutely. we what we do can make a difference in even small yeah. things it's like a really empowering and hopeful idea yeah love that massively um yes I just wanted to know, is there anything else that you're, that's really important to you right now that you can share about? Uh, for me, it really, is, it really is kindness. It's the spirit of kindness. You know, I, I write a lot about kindness and I speak a lot about it. And, and, and it's funny, I've said this to a few other people, that it doesn't necessarily sell books and it doesn't get me a huge number of followers. In comparison, if I write a post on self-esteem, or a post in the mind body connection. I, you know, relatively speaking, I get far more interaction and more book sales. But I write about the kindness because I think it's so important that we help each other, not just right now at this period of time where, where there's a, a global pandemic, but at all the other times. It, it really is, it, it's what we are wired for kindness, and it's what will actually be the final decider on which direction the human race goes and how, how we survive challenging times. It will be connected to our capacity for helping each other out. If we no one helps each other out, then the human race has very little chance. But if we help each other out, not just right now, but in other times in the future, and, and we look at all through our own lives, what, keep, what glues us together and helps us all to thrive is, help, is helping each other is kindness. So even though for me, it doesn't sell, it doesn't necessarily sell me a lot of books, it doesn't make me money, it doesn't get me huge numbers of followers, but I do it anyway, because it's the right thing to do. And I guess the reason why, why I'm saying that is, you know, one of the things we could probably do more in our lives is do things because it's the right thing to do, rather than what we think people will like, or what makes us the most money, but I think if we practice doing what feels like the right thing to do, I think all of us will be better off in the long run. Mm. Well, thank you so much for speaking to me. I've absolutely loved this conversation. It's been so, so useful and I can't wait for people to hear it. Can you share a bit about where people can find out more about you and your work and if they want to get involved in things that you're offering? Sure. Right. So most of my Links to all my social media handles is on my website, drdavidhamilton.com. I write regular blogs. I have a newsletter that I send out, online courses. I have a monthly 
a, a personal development club. So basically everything is on my website. So you, you can see my uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, you can link to them all from my website. It's probably the easiest place for everyone to look to find me. And then you can, you'll find me in all the popular social media outlets. Brilliant. Thank you so much for talking to me today. Oh, it's been my pleasure. It's been such a good chat. Thank you so much for listening. I really hope that you gained a lot from this episode. Come on over to Instagram and let me know what are you taking from this episode. Find me at Chloe Brotheridge. And I would love it if you would leave me a review in the podcast app or in iTunes. Subscribe to the podcast, leave me a rating. And is there someone in your life that would really benefit from this podcast? You can let them know by sharing this podcast. I'd be so, so grateful. So I'm just wishing you a wonderful week ahead, sending you loads of love. Hopefully you'll tune in again and I'll see you soon. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.